Uzun Zamandir Garushmudik, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Turkish for long time no see in honor of the return of a former Formula One racetrack to the 2020 calendar. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking about my Garushmudik. It's fine and healthy. Also joining us, Rob Zachney. Uh, how are you hanging, Rob? Just enjoying a little November heat wave. Really? Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's in like the mid to upper 70s this week. What? It's like 40 degrees in the Bay Area right now. Fall yeah. in New England, baby. It's almost 80. Is Oof. there a name for that thing? Is that your Indian Yeah, climate fall? change. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Uh, okay. If you are new to this podcast, uh, very warm or cold, depending on uh, your uh, situation. Welcome. Uh, if you are new to Formula One itself, we have an episode just for you. The preseason primer, which is episode 96, uh, assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. Um, also, the sport is uh, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons, uh, covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What's going on this month, Dan? Uh, tomorrow we are recording our episode all about cars, the uh, 1979 Gary Newman single that you all know and love. Um, <laughs> no, the Disney Pixar uh, uh, movie film um, yes. for people of all ages. So we will be, it, it's probably our least accurate, but m- perhaps in many ways, most fun. Uh, something tells me, although I've not seen cars, there probably won't be as much um harrowing death in this one as there has been in so many motorsport films we have watched over the years well that's not well so that's true of cars one but let me tell you harrowing (laughs) death is not in short supply in later cars films man okay wow next month Uh, (laughs) yeah stay tuned uh today however we will be talking about the upcoming turkish grand prix uh, which we've not seen in some time but first Uh, Speaking of things we haven't seen in a while, let's get to the news surrounding the 2021 season. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is so exciting. The calendar has been released by Formula One. Um, I think it still has yet to be ratified by the World Motorsport Council. Um, But F1 says, here's what we're shooting for. 23 races. Wow. Pandemic or not? Golly. Um, That's a lot. There is one sort of uh, up-in-the-air thing here. Uh, The fourth race on 25 April to be confirmed because uh, the Vietnam race, which was apparently listed in that slot uh, until at the last minute it was dropped. Um, I know you guys have dug into a little bit, Danny, uh, about what, uh, or, or Rob, about what exactly happened, why Vietnam was dropped. Well, it's uh, a little bit, it's unclear if this is the complete reason, but one mm. of the architects of the Vietnam race, uh, the, the Hanoi People's Committee chairman, uh, Duke Chung, was arrested um, recently. And so not only is the race up in doubt, but it also seems like one of its major champions in Vietnam is now staring down indictment. 
which is which is obviously going to complicate efforts to continue running this thing because every 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 street race requires a lot of local buy-in. So if there's a political scandal around one of the stakeholders, it seems unlikely that this thing is going to have, uh, you know, the momentum behind it to to be carried forward. What a bizarre turn of events. <laughs> like <laughs> we were there were so many. We had a couple of new tracks, you know, before COVID-19 kicked uh, kicked in. We, we obviously got a bunch of new tracks this year and we also got a bunch of returning tracks this year. But there were so many new and returning tracks that we didn't get to go to. Zanvoort, of course, which will be making its debut, uh, its new debut, I guess, in 2021 as per this calendar. But yeah, Hanoi was a big one that we were all looking forward to. It's in the video game. Like, it's... That's uh, right. That yeah. might be we're the only place that exists uh, uh, yeah, from right. here on. <laughs> it's so bizarre. And because it's a street circuit, it's not like it's... Like, nobody else has ever driven on this thing. It has never existed. And it perhaps may never exist. Right, except uh, Hanoi motorists, uh, yeah, partially. Um, if you have, uh, I guess, been with Formula One for the last couple of years, this calendar will seem pretty familiar to you. Uh, or I guess if you listen to the preseason primer for this year, uh, we start in the 21st of March with Australia, then go to Bahrain, China, uh, and then we have the, the Vietnam slot, which is currently vacant. But they do. Ha- there is some circuits they're thinking might be in here, right? There's like a short list or something. Yeah, according to um, this article from racefans.net, up to five other circuits are thought to be in the running to replace the Vietnam race, including Istanbul Park in Turkey, Imola, Algarve, Sepang, or one of the Germany tracks. Why so don't they just um, build the entire <laughs> the entire circuit series out of these five tracks? Those those are all bangers. Yeah. yeah. Um. After that slot is the Spanish Grand Prix, starting the European leg, then goes Monaco, Azerbaijan, uh, then uh, Canada, France, Austria, Britain, Hungary, uh, and then we have our traditional four-week break, which Formula One did not really get this year. Yeah. Uh, They took it at the start. (laughs) They did, yeah. And then after that, Belgium, um, the Netherlands at Zandvoort, which as Danny mentioned, missed its 2020 debut. So that'll be the first time that we're there, uh, or at least in the modern Zandvoort. Uh, Italy, which is Monza, Russia, <laughs> Singapore, uh, Japan, United States, Ooh. Mexico, Brazil at Interlagos again. So not the yes. new Rio track. Good. Uh, and then here's a brand new one. Saudi hmm. Arabia. Oh, cool. What's As Saudi Arabia rumored? like? Uh, well, we'll be racing in uh, Jeddah in a street race until um, an, uh, a full-time <laughs> <Yeah. we're laughs> a full-time track uh, yeah. is completed in Kidia in 2023. So, oh, interesting. Uh, then, uh, so the season ends like in... A- Stop off. I want so did did Quiddy. I mean, we're going to get into it later on, but did Quiddy's construction not get done on time? But they said, "Ah, don't worry about it. We'll we'll host it in the in the living room while the kitchen's getting finished." Uh, I don't know the timing there, um, but I mean, the last the last thing uh, I guess we can jump into Saudi Arabia right now. But the last thing I wanted to mention is that uh, Formula Two and Formula Three will no longer compete on the same race weekends. 
Wow. So they're actually kind of splitting their calendar up to be F1 support series at different tracks. Uh, Interesting. For I wonder if that has measures. anything to do with the, the COVID um, stuff. Because they would have learned so much this year about what actually were the pinch points. Um, you know, production-wise, logistics-wise, of so putting this whole thing together. Um, you know, as a result of that, I'm actually quite surprised by how similar to the a regular season this is. Like, they still have Canada wedged in the middle of the European races. Um, maybe it's just yeah. a timing thing again, but I'm just a little bit surprised they didn't bother to put all that stuff with the North American leg, you know, with USA, Mexico, and Brazil. Well, you know. and the European leg is still kind of ass-backwards in terms of locations. They go to Austria, yes. then to Britain, then back to Hungary. Like, uh, they're, they're still kind of leaving a lot of logistical convenience on the table. Um, also, I mean, I am very curious, one, how many of these races actually happen. Mm. Two, what the mix of fan, in, like, Open to open to the public versus closed events we get next year because my my suspicion is we are still going to be dealing with a lot of uh, outbreaks uh, heading into next season. Not even outbreaks, but uh, you know the continuing effects of the pandemic. And I'm just wondering what it looks like as each of these venues sort of rolls up in the calendar. Uh, the kind of decision making is going to happen around the risk of uh, having like super spreader events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it would have been nice to see like a full refresh. If you, this feels to me like everyone just brought out their old 2020 playbook and said, all right, now we can get back to normal. Here we go. Yeah. And like, this would be a perfect time to wipe the slate clean. But of course, that's not how this works. This is a money proposition. Formula One needs to make money in places. And that's why you have uh, tracks on this calendar like Sochi and like Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi. They're not the sole, the sole reason a track is on the calendar is not just because it makes a good race. It's because it makes financial sense. How much uh, money is Paul Ricard really paying? Because I could probably cover that if we could go somewhere <laughs> else. I would happily, like, just think we've got like Algarve, Imola, you know, Sepang. There's a bunch in there that we'd love to, even to Istanbul we'll get to, another, you know, fun track that I would love to stick in there instead of that. But Help know. send I, the Shift F1 crew out to Magnicor to complete the <laughs> circuit renovations required to make it a viable venue for the French Grand Prix. And then Absolutely. we will cover the racing fees uh, for Magnicor if we stop racing at Paul Ricard. Totally. We can just turn up there with a bottle of, uh, or a six pack of Blue Coast uh, as finest and, 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 and make it happen. There you go. I mean, I, I um, think that was, as far as the Saudi Arabia thing goes, this is... I mean, like in in many ways, the decision is hard to defend for a sport like F one that is trying to be more inclusive. But obviously, this is a sport that has a long history of going to places that have human rights human rights issues that are at odds with the values of a lot of the uh, you know dem- the the democratically the the democratic world in, in some mm. ways, and at odds with a lot of the people who take part in in formula one but i am sympathetic to the arguments that f1 it is not on f1 to change the world and there can be some positive effects i think hazel southwell uh you know spoke pretty well to this over at race fans talking about 
the fact that there are positive effects to opening societies like this a little bit to the possibilities that exist at a sport within a sport like Formula One. Yeah, I, I think the danger though is to just accept the fact that you know by F one going there, well, that must mean that the country is fine. Everything's fine there. Um, I, I think it's a great opportunity, not only for the people in Saudi Arabia to like see their country represented uh, and maybe be able to go to a track. And F1 does have the power to say things like, if we're going to come here, you need to let men and women into the stands together, um, which is something that they do uh, in Formula E. Um, but it's also a good opportunity to point out uh, things that are still going on in Saudi Arabia. I think it can go both ways. Uh, Hazel actually has in her article, um, which I'll link in the show notes. It's a really good article. Mm. Um, the She has a really good kind of summary of, uh, of Saudi Arabia. Uh, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, the guardianship scheme that prevents women from making uh, career, financial, or travel choices without permission from a male relative or spouse, the total intolerance of LGBTQ plus people, the documented use of torture as a method of interrogation, arrests of human rights activists, and the brutally catastrophic war in Yemen. There's the oil-based profiteering that is unquestionably uh, helped destroy the Earth's climate, the abuse of migrant workers, mostly from the Philippines, and connections with global terrorism. That is quite a rap sheet. But if you yeah, set all it, that aside, <laughs> right. we can go to a to a Herman Tilke drive. I have actually no idea who who built this one. Yeah, it's it's talking about Saudi Arabia in relation to this stuff. It just it feels like oh we're back there again. You know what I mean? Like over the years, this is an argument. This is this is a a a, a discussion that has come up over and over and over again. Do you are you basically like saying a okay to regimes like this by by doing it or like you know we here on this podcast do a lot of criticism of how you know F one has dealt with the issue of race. Uh, we often talk about uh, you know climate responsibility and stuff like that, and it's it's just so difficult to decide to come down with a you know should i would prefer for them not to go like that's my preference would be for them not to go to saudi arabia i think it's it's we were already running into this with places like bahrain uh, to a lesser degree as we sort of go down in, in incremental seriousness of human rights abuses or or the, you know the cultural norms that we have against other places you could say the same for a lot of uh, abu dhabi for instance um this isn't unique to here, but Saudi Arabia does seem like kind of like okay, hey guys, we got ra- we got away with all the rest of them. We got away with Russia. We got away with uh, uh, all these other places. Let's go for the big Kahuna. What's you know we probably won't set one up in Pyongyang, but hey, get guess what? A lot of our money comes from this part of the world. So the cynic in me, at least, would would prefer for this not to have gone ahead. But like Drew said, and like Rob said, you know, uh, if if uh, nothing else, we can use this to bend that needle a little bit or at the very least to shine a light on uh, those darker areas of society there then um we should at the very least uh, do that but yeah. yeah having a driver up on a podium or even just at a, at a press conference with a mask or a shirt on in saudi arabia with some kind of slogan on there mm. like lewis hamilton is pretty untouchable uh 
and I mean, all these drivers are right. Like Daniel Ricardo had uh, some slogan on his mask in, in Russia, I think. So um, I don't know. Yeah, it's I, I guess I, I hear. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But I also remember Jensen Button getting shot at in Brazil and like, you know, and also getting his house robbed and being put asleep. I don't know. Everything bad happened to Jensen Button, it turns out. <laughs> right, um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's it's. That's a situation in which you're thinking like, oh, great. So what's going to happen here is the FIA are going to or Formula One are going to decide to do this. And then it's going to be the driver's jobs once again to do the, you know, emotional labor and activism labor that they should be doing, which is what happened before with what we're seeing at the moment with the um, Black Lives Matter uh, stuff that Hamilton has basically taken most of that on his shoulders. And then he has a couple of compatriots which are chipping in. But Formula One really is not helping much at all. Which is um, hard to take when they have hashtag we race as one plaster yeah. all over the place. We race as one in Saudi Arabia, unless you're gay or a woman or a migrant worker, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And I think the, the another aspect of this is it's not like they're hurting for venues. And so there is no. kind of an especially <laughs> like obvious cash grab quality to the entire thing, uh, which is another i'm curious to see how this goes over it's going to be a long grueling season and i am a little bit doubtful uh that that can that that over that that will be healthy for the sport in some ways like i think 23 races you're starting to get into maybe too jam-packed a season uh with all the turnaround time for for traveling and so when you're at this place where you've almost got a fully loaded schedule here and if anything, you should probably be looking for places to maybe be scaling back instead they're you know, much as they did in the Ecclestone days, uh, you know, they're simply chasing after who's willing to pay above market for, uh, you know, race licensing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think they're not hurting for venues but they are hurting for cash i think yes. they i think revenue increased this year but they lost a hundred million dollars still um formula one did uh i'm sure the venues didn't do great either this year with the lack of yeah punters coming into the stands i'm sure that was part of that too um, yeah yeah it's it's I'm sympathetic to I don't agree with it myself, but I'm sympathetic to people who a little bit, at least to people being tired of, of activism being thrust in front of them over. Like I, 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 I think we all have a responsibility, but I am also sympathetic to that idea, especially in 2020 where there's just so much shit that seems to be bad. That's constantly put in your face. But at the same time, like if you were to pick a country that is impossible to talk about in terms of sport, in terms of women and cars, like it's Saudi Arabia, like it's impossible to avoid it with this one. Um, and we're talking about it today, and everyone is going to be talking about it. Like, get your put on your seatbelt and stick your helmet on. Everyone is going to be talking about all this stuff when that race comes around next year, if it comes around, because who knows with COVID. Yeah, and, and just finally, uh, I don't actually think we need 23 races. I think we need no like 20 is would be much better because it, at this point, something um, actually chain bear made a, a good point recently in one of his videos. Uh, it, it diminishes them. It diminishes each race. Cause they're not as, they're not as important anymore. Totally. It's like baseball and I love baseball, but until you get to the postseason, it's, and, and here's the other thing we feel, we can sort of feel this now, right? When you get to this state of this stage of the season, 
the thing that's carrying us through a lot of this, I think, is some of these tracks. Because usually when we get to this part of the season, it's kind of done. Like, it's a bit of a moot point, right? Like, the Constructors wrapped most of the, you know, we actually have a bit of sort of interesting stuff going on here and the the from three to seven and, and maybe a bit lower but like you kind of you're waiting for it to wrap up almost at this stage and i don't know maybe it's a fun track but like i enjoy abu dhabi i enjoy interlagos i think they're good tra- they're interesting tracks or at least they're novel i'm glad abu dhabi's last but this one's just yeah it's it's a bit of a odd place to stick it as well yeah the the phrase new street circuit does not fill me uh with <laughs> with wonder and delight uh when, when i contemplate it i'm also uh, but i also think you, you make a very good point there uh we are being carried through a little bit by the novelty of some of these returning classic venues uh yeah. some new and novel venues and i think you know if f1 were a competitively healthy competitively healthy sport i think the prospect of 23 races I'd be like rubbing my hands, you know, mm. that, that sounds pretty great. But if we are, as looks very likely bound for a final year of just unquestioned like Mercedes dominance, uh, just cause they've, they've figured out the formula for this set of rules. Um, 23 races is going to feel like a long season (laughs) and it's going to be like, you know, it will not be long before we're kind of in this death watch mode of, okay, well, how many more of these things does Mercedes have to bag before they clinch? Uh, How many, and because it's a long season, we'll hit those. It'll take a little longer to hit some of those milestones, but we will still hit them. And there's a very good chance you'll have a situation where there's 11 races left on the calendar and it's a wrap. And at that point it starts to get a little bit, difficult to feel enthusiastic about each race just because the action starts to get so familiar. I think this year we're a little bit blessed by uh, there is some really good racing happening for that third podium position. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a good fight for third in the constructors championship, you know, knock on wood, we will see similar dynamism next year, but at the same time, uh, 23 races of just like Mercedes kicking ass and Ferrari stumbling around trying to get its act together. That, that will, that will feed that. That is a long season and it will feel long and that will not be a good thing. (laughs) Well, um, let's talk about this season. Most notably the upcoming track that is uh, new to me. Certainly. Uh, Danny, what can you tell us about? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, I came here with the promise that I could talk about delicious fragrances. Oh my gosh. I forgot <laughs> a news story, please. And th- this Take is it bright- away, Danny. This is an old story, but a new story. You may remember a number. I can't even remember. Maybe it was the start of this year. Maybe it was five years ago. It's impossible to tell. <laughs> but there was a new story about a set of Formula One fragrances, which would be coming to the market in very beautiful and sort of complex uh, uh, looking bottles. Um, well, they are now out. You can purchase these if you live, I think, in Great Britain anyway. Perhaps, well, United Kingdom, I imagine. Perhaps Europe, I'm not I'm not quite sure. Well, if they're for sale uh, in, in the UK, then certainly they'll be able to be for sale in, in Europe. <laughs> uh, I can't think of any anything that would cause issues for something to be sold in uh, those two markets. Well, really, one market. 
<laughs> okay, fair point. <laughs> TV, yeah, so maybe further research is required. Um, we're going to go through a couple of these uh, that have been uh, gingerly uh, picked out by Drew. Thank you very much, Drew. Uh, the names of these uh, fragrances, of course, I'm sure you all remember, but just in case you don't, there is Precious Metal, which is M-E-T-T-L-E. Mm. Is that? Mm. Turn 1, Overtake 320, Neum White, which I hope I'm getting some residuals for, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Carbon Rain, which I think is a Tezon collaboration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe Carbon Rain won the belt. <laughs> um, we're gonna we we can't smell them here. Unfortunately, we can't give you the sense of smell. But perhaps using words, uh, we can uh, give you that. So just close your eyes, everyone. <clears throat> we're gonna talk about precious metal first. It's described as a fresh, intense, woody fragrance with a metallic twist that represents the courageousness required from drivers as they line up on the grid. Whilst Turn 1 is an avant-garde composition. That's really how I love my (laughs) sense to start out. I'm already already in defensive mode. With uh, inimitable uh, accords of burning rubber... And rain on salty asphalt. <laughs> this, that doesn't I think sound I remember this. good. No, this sounds like a bit from Anchorman. Um, <laughs> honoring the performance and determination of powering through the first corner. Uh, the most passionate scent of the collection comes mm. through in Overtake 320. Oh, no. A warm and spicy composition that races with a fiery blend of cinnamon and bergamot. Uh, while Neom... Sorry... <clears throat> White is a tribute to the fearlessness of F1 heroes as they reach the final straight, a confidence fragrance with a daring cocktail of spices, contrasting hot black pepper with the coolness of juniper. And finally, Carbon Rain, created to replicate the sense of victory, captures a vibrant and energetic scent built around champagne accord, dry amber, and woods. You can pick these up at f1fragrances.com I would genuinely, just for the laugh of it, uh, pick up the Discovery set, which gives you a little sort of vials of all of them, uh, which costs 20 quid. Um, I would buy that probably because the rest of the bottles, I think, are 200. Starting at 200. They also have collector's editions, which I think you have to... I don't know. They come with a little vial of adrenochrome with them, probably. it's uh, It looks like it's for the, the 1% of the 1%, those bottles. They're very fancy. Oh I'm, boy. Not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying QAnon is real. Let me just say that. Uh, I I would genuinely also love to smell these. They, they too bad they don't yet ship to America. Yeah, it's a shame. We'll have to get. Is your buddy still working in that D, in that uh, DHL? In- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, uh, the the Kansas UPS plant, or whatever. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh man. Anyway, should we turn to talk about the track? Uh yes. Istanbul. The, the, the month We're going of Turkey. Back. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Thanksgiving. What better time, thank you, Drew, than to go back to Turkey. Uh, Istanbul Park, located two hours outside Istanbul, which is probably why no one went and we stopped going here. Uh, originally, <laughs> it was called the Istanbul Racing Circuit. Uh, also, before that, it was called the Istanbul Autodrome, which... Oh, I love an autodrome. It's so good, isn't it? Beautiful. Uh, designed by our good friend Herman Tilke. It opened in 2004. Five, and it ran up until 2011. Um, it was sort of known as a as a bit of a Franken track before 
before we had Circuit of the Americas, which is kind of more of a Franken track. Um, uh, except this one goes, uh, this one goes anti-clockwise. Actually, I should say, like Circuit of the Americas, it also goes anti-clockwise. We haven't had many anti-clockwise circuits this year, uh, so this should be fun and probably will hurt the drivers' necks a little bit because they're not used to going in that direction. It is a 14-turn track. It's lots of fun with not many places to overtake, so it's kind of like our friend in the Algarve. Um, where the drivers will have a great time on this, um, but really there's one spot where you can overtake, or if you're Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber, crash, um, which is what happened in 2010, the famous incident there. Uh, the two turns that are sort of, uh, that stick out, um, uh, or I guess two turns that stick out in terms of its Frankentrack nature is uh, the ridiculous um, uh, four apex turn eight, uh, this is, sorry, this is very unique. This doesn't exist anywhere else on the calendar. No. Yeah. Turn 8 is a lot of fun. Uh, a couple of drivers like Albon were saying that you might be able to take it flat out this time in uh, the in the new cars. Uh, with the grip, that final turn, once you've gone like, the grip starts to get a little bit wigglish on that. I watched a couple of hot laps before um, the podcast to to enjoy uh, some of the, the the speed around there and turn from it's a lot a, from of fun. above it, it it looks like uh the outline of like uh a d20 or something it's yeah. like uh it's just like chuk 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 uh, or yeah, like totally, a, a yeah. low poly circle it might be i think this and Eau Rouge maybe are the most beautiful onboards to watch turn eight is is a very fun onboard to watch because it looks like they've taken the same turn the same little left-hand kink four times. Um, and it's taken very, very fast as well. So it's cool. Uh, it was known as Diabolica for a while, which was a uh, <laughs> play good. on Parabolica. And the other one we had, uh, the, the other sort of, um, uh, I don't know what would you call that, like a funny trick name or whatever, was Turn 11, which was known as Faux Rouge because it's oh. a right-hander uphill. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but that's that that's the on the only DRS straight. It's the only straight part of the track. Is that little sort of uh, the area between? It's like the start of sector three of the track. There's a fast part with a, I don't know what you maybe a twenty degree right hand turn, um, and that's where you get most of the speed. And it's also where the best slipstream is, which why which is why turn twelve is where you tend to see overtakes. So there is a little arena section at the end of this lap with three turns. The first of those turns, uh, it's a left-hander. It's where Weber and Vettel came into each other uh, a number of years ago. In Red Bull, I think it was 2010. That's sort of the overtaking spot here. So it's a fun track. Uh, it's it's a great little onboard. The drivers tend to like it. Uh, unfortunately, the fans didn't, which is why um, it was difficult. There, I think it was a two-hour bus ride from Istanbul to get there. There were two... I remember there being these two bridges that you had to take to get in. So there was basically just like an, the worst-case scenario for we built this big circuit and it's a logistical nightmare transport-wise to get people to it. So people didn't go. Couple that with the fact that Turkey doesn't necessarily have much of a motorsport a history to it, you know, in a sort of a mainstreamy way. Even motorbikes have come here and sort of came and gone. It's never had that, you know, surprisingly almost, it's never had that that sort of um, mainstream passion, I guess. So that coupled with the difficulty to get people out there, basically outside made of uh, it. Gurker Dermley. Exactly. It's out of our, our good friend Gurkan, who works over at CBS, who, who uh, um, 
has been on the podcast talking about MotoGP. Yeah, he's a big Alexander Rossi fan. When I went to Italy a couple of years ago, I got him one of those doctor hats, the yellow. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, the colorful ones. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, it's not very popular. Uh, weirdly enough, um, Bernie Eccleston bought this, I think, a couple of years after it opened. Um, the track, maybe they were just trying to get rid of it. I don't know, but um, it's a fun Doesn't track. It seem like it's- that sound of an investment. Well, maybe now no. we're racing on it again. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see if he's getting much scratch for that. It's um, it's a uh, uh, five point three kilometers, fifty eight laps, so sort of average enough. And uh, yeah, we'll see if it's a fun race. But if it's not a fun race, it might be the championship deciding race. It may just. Um, race fans has crunched the numbers and says the only way Botas race can fans be. There. Sh- <laughs> yep, that's one race fan. Uh, the only way Botas can be sure the championship isn't settled on Sunday is by winning the race and scoring the bonus point for fastest lap. If Mm. Hamilton retires or fails to finish in a point scoring position, both of which would also mean he cannot score the bonus point for fastest lap, Botas still needs to bag a decent haul of points to keep his championship hopes alive. Nothing less than sixth place would do. So, that's a that's a tall order for Valtteri. I thought I it says a lot that I thought Hamilton had already clinched the title. <laughs> yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't aware that it was still. I mean, it's yeah, numerically I know it's it's basically done, but yeah. Uh, we are running the hardest of the tire compounds, the C one, two, and three. By the way, someone uh, sent me a note on Twitter saying that uh, C five five looks like an S for soft. Oh yeah, that's good. That's so that. Yep, that's a good one. Thank you, friend. Um, Weather-wise, we've got another. I mean, we're getting into the 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 winter here. We're getting chilly. Yeah. Um, qualifying day looks to be about uh, sixty degrees Fahrenheit or fifteen 16? Celsius. Yeah. Um, and slightly cooler on race day. Uh, a little windy at the circuit. Um, nine miles an hour or uh, 14 kilometers an hour on qualifying day picks up to 11 miles an hour or 18 kilometers an hour uh, on race day. Precipitation, however, looks to be around uh, 15% qualifying up to 20 on race day. So uh, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? What can happen there? Uh, in the driver standings, Lewis Hamilton, as mentioned, has a commanding lead over his teammate Valtteri Bottas with 282 points to Valtteri's 197. Max Verstappen currently in third with 162. Daniel Ricciardo a distant fourth with 95. Charles Leclerc, though, right behind in fifth place with 85. Sergio Perez has 82. And we jump down a little bit to Lando Norris in seventh place with 69 points. Carlos Sainz has 65. Alex Albon with 64. Pierre Gasly with 63 in 10th place. Lance Stroll has 57. Esteban Ocon with 40. Kvyat with 26. Fettel with 18. Hulkenberg uh, with 10. Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi both have 4 points. Roman Grosjean with 2. Kevin Magnussen with 1. And Nicholas Latifi and George Russell with 0 points. In the Constructor standings, Mercedes uh, has clinched the Constructors' Championship with 479 points. Red Bull is in second with 226. Wow, this could not be... Well, it could very narrowly be closer. Renault is in third with 135. McLaren and Racing Point both have 134. Wow, that's a Uh, lot of money between those three spots. Yikes. 
yeah if you if you're unfamiliar uh at the end of the season formula one pays out cash prizes to the teams based on their finish in the standings um and there it's it's matters of tens of millions of dollars um that that these guys are racing for uh ferrari's in sixth place with 103 alpha towery has 89 alpha romeo with eight gene haas and team with three and williams again has zero uh, if you'd like to join our fantasy league, you can do so uh, with the link in the show notes. Uh, you can also send us some emails. Danny, do you want to take it away from here? Absolutely. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.com. Sorry, f1.cool slash emails. If it was a .com, it would cost me about 10% as much as it does for the, the other one. Um, yeah, we've got a bunch of cool emails this week. Thanks so much to everyone from folks sending in their kids doing commentary to... Um, I had another message. I didn't want to belabor the... We've talked about the Verstappen thing uh, for the past like three weeks, so I want to get into it again. Uh, but we had somebody from the Netherlands give a bit of perspective on that. Um, not being... not. Uh, forgiving Verstappen of what he had said but uh, apparently it's in reference to some um, TV show that Verstappen would have been watching when he was a teenager apparently that term means something very specific there so I don't know it was nice to get an extra context for that Um, you can look it up yourself if you want to but I I thought I would jump into some uh, interesting emails about well this one I thought would be perfect for you Drew because I think of you as a as a fine, well-dressed gentleman who I'd like to see on a billboard. Um, wow. And this is, there's one right here. Uh, okay. Uh, this is from Jimmy. Hello, speedy boys. I take the bus to class every day and see this ad, and it never fails to make me crack a puzzled smile. Apparently, the FIA has a global road safety program, and who better to represent it than former F1 driver Felipe Massa? I can't imagine he's the most recognizable figure in Boston, considering <laughs> he has virtually no connection to the city whatsoever. But now whenever I cross the street, I think of the Formula E legend himself. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a... Uh, I'll see if I can post this uh, in the show notes as well. Um, it's a picture of uh, Felipe Massa looking before he's crossing in a crosswalk. Uh, it says, look before crossing. Today, 3,500 people will die on the road. Jeez. Felipe Massa, Formula E racing driver, former <laughs> Formula One racing driver, and then his signature, support the FIA's manifesto for global road safety at FIA.com. Yeah, Just- I don't think anyone in America, uh, I don't think <laughs> your average American knows what the FIA is, much less right. who Felipe Massa is. Um, Just a quick thing. That's that's weird. Yeah, Rob. Uh, if we're if we're telling people like, hey, you know, look both ways before you cross. Well, I applaud. That's that's decent advice. That kind of puts it on the pedestrian for for maybe getting pasted <laughs> by a car, right? Like, is it you really? This, is this is this is this commercial victim blaming, Rob? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm just saying, like the pro- <laughs> the process of road safety probably should not begin with the people walking around in shoes, and maybe should have a little more to do with the people rolling around in like two ton SUVs. <laughs> That's just me, and I but I think I think Felipe uh, would agree with me on, on that score. Um, I think he would, he something- would hate to see someone get nailed by a car on Mass Avenue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's only so much you can do, though, because even if you if you're driving properly, just a, a piece of assembly from someone's car can just come out of nowhere. Oh, jeez. Um, 
yeah, he looks. Uh, he's looking. He's looking great. Um, unfortunately, he's because of the nature, the 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 sort of static nature of photography. It does look to like to me like he is stepping out onto a crosswalk while only looking one direction, which is um upsetting to me. But I guess that's the flow of traffic. Maybe is coming it from does. There. It does look like he. They didn't take a photo of him walking. They asked him no. to to stand as if he is walking, and then took a photo of him. Yeah. So he ends up looking a little like the uh, the Bigfoot footage, you know. <laughs> totally, lovely. That's great. Well, Thank good. You, Jimmy. Well spotted. Well spotted, Jimmy. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, this next email comes in from Daniel, so I thought I should probably read it. Uh, just to let you know, you were talking about the driver's salary cap on last week's episode. The salary cap is $30 million for both drivers, e.g. Oh. Hamilton 25, Botas 5. I'll certainly make driver... Sorry, it'll certainly make driver contracts and negotiation interesting in the future if you know what a team is willing or can pay them. Uh, some of the, those top drivers might see a large percentage pay cut coming soon. So in relation to Daniel's email, I wanted to ask both of you, which one do you, th- which of all the teams there are, so bring up your driver names or whatever if you don't, if you if you need a little bit of a refresh. Of all the teams, who do you think would be the most, the largest ratio, like the biggest mm. percentage cost between the two of them? Like, you know, maybe we look at Williams and we say, ah, that's maybe 50-50 for the two of them, for Latifi and Russell, or 60-40 maybe. Which is the one that's the most, you know, Well, okay, are you, are you obliged to pretend that uh, Lance Stroll gets paid a salary? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very, very good point. Like, can you just be like, yo, like, talk to your dad about your allowance, but it's not on us to <laughs> to, to hook you up with a, with a driver's salary. Uh, we we got we got to pay a primary. Um, that might be it. That's good. Uh, Al, maybe Albon Verstappen. That's that's what I was thinking. Oh, sorry. You got on your yeah. That, no, that feels like, a, like one, right? Yeah, I mean, next year's Renault, like Alonso. What did it cost to get Alonso back in the seat? Do you think? Right. And Ocon didn't exactly tear it up this year, so. Yeah, you're right. He really didn't. Okan had a... For all the joy we had seeing him coming back, didn't make a massive impression. He's running in 12th in the Drivers' Championship now. Mm. I think those are both the good uh, picks. Like, I think that's... Those are probably your largest spreads. Um, you know, you, I'd say Daniel and Ocon would probably would have been there too. Maybe. Yeah. In terms of what like they get you in a car... Um, Hamilton and Botas, the spread wouldn't be that far because one of these guys is reliably coming in like second or third. So yeah. that that's still worth quite a bit of money. And, uh, you know, Hamilton's going to have the capacity to make a lot of his bank via personal endorsements. So, yeah, I, I think I think you really do have to look at those cases where there's just a massive difference between who is pulling the most weight for the team. And right now that is definitely Max. Here's an interesting one then. What do we think about Antonio Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen? Because in terms of points, there's not that much of a difference, right? But in terms of name and bois, <laughs> he just yeah, likes driving, I, though. Too, it's tough to say. Like it, you know. Yeah. Part yeah. of the calculation is what's the what is the amount that makes a guy what is the what is the floor for for a driver. After which, like, if the money drops below that point, they're like, 
you know what, I'm just going to go do rally or I'm going to go, you know, make YouTube videos about F1 uh, from, <laughs> from my house. Do you, do you think, um, I wonder how the sponsor weighs into this. Uh, mm. Like, could Raikkonen's sponsor say, look, if you get hired at Alfa Romeo, we'll pay you $10 million. Like, that's not salary from the team you know individual sponsors yeah give them more if they're if they're on a prestige brand i'm sure you could lobby for more like i'm sure you know uh carlos Sainz's money will go up his brand yeah i wonder as well though i wonder do does do teams like big teams take ownership of that themselves as well a little bit i bet there's i bet i bet there's no cookie cutter for any of this i bet it's very you know uh particular to the, the the driver and the the organizers they're talking or the sponsors they're talking to that is interesting though yeah, yeah i wonder especially when you're talking about a prestige brand like a like a ferrari or a mercedes yeah yeah, yeah that's a that's kind of a, still a black box to me the the team driver sponsor relationship um speaking of nope can't do it uh rob <laughs> do you want to read this next email <laughs> Uh, yeah. This one came in via Patreon. It was a DM. Ah. Hey, guys, following that disgusting display, does the CDC, WHO, FIA, or any other acronyms need to release new COVID guidelines advising people not to drink from other people's shoes? Don't know about you, (laughs) but amid my laughter, I gagged a little. This was sent in by Steve Sanchez. It feels like something that's probably not okay right like it just just doesn't (laughs) seem likely that that's fine like i know i know you don't breathe out of your feet but at the same time like (laughs) it's a lot of body like you know body contact and and fluid i don't want any part of that does the alcohol clean it at all no not not champagne like you like you need you need a you need a concentration of alcohol that is well above i think what champagne is is going to do maybe they're doing like shots of whiskey or something like high proof whiskey like yeah so maybe a a bullet of uh, of, vodka vodka. god (laughs) the most cursed thing a lagavulin chewy just (laughs) just end it now uh, well, that's the end of the emails. You can also hit us up at ShiftF1 Podcast on Twitter. I am at Danny. Uh, I am not Danny O'Dwyer. Mm-hmm. I am at Danny O'Dwyer. That's at Drew Scanlon and at Rob Zachney. Uh, that's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Let's race around the world. Yeah. They better not make a perfume out of that. <laughs> we're, we're still racing uh, around the world as it uh, gets into the winter months. Um, the IMSA WeatherTech Championship is at Sebring. Ooh. The World Endurance Championship is at the Bahrain International Circuit. Uh, MotoGP is at uh, Valencia, I believe, in Spain. Uh, and Super Formula is racing at Autopolis. Oh my God, I love Autopolis. Isn't that where Cars takes place? <laughs> yes. Uh, in Kamitsue Village in Hita City, Oita Prefecture, Japan. Village. Is it really a village? Can you have an Autopolis in a village? <laughs> that seems like 
maybe the village is just like you know <laughs> i really loved my utopian literature in college <laughs> uh no no uh i was thinking of trying to think of like an aldous huxley racing pun this venn diagram is getting smaller and smaller yeah um <laughs> And what do you know, Formula One is also racing this weekend. We have uh, Free Practice One kicking off Friday, November 13th at 3 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Mm -hmm. uh, that's midnight Pacific. Beautiful. Uh, Free Practice Two is 7 a.m. on ESPN Two. Mm -hmm. uh, Saturday, November 14th at 4 a.m. is Free Practice Three on ESPN, followed by qualifying at 7 a.m. on ESPN Two. And then the race, everyone, Sunday, November 15th at 5.10 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Looking forward to it, Danny? Yeah, Turkey's a fun track. I'm similar to the last race where I, I'm not expecting a very exciting race. We might get one, but it'll be fun to be back in Istanbul. Um, yeah, let's get some high-def cameras on boards looking at that uh, turn eight. I'll be fun. Rob? Yeah, this is one I missed. I was, uh, I understood the reasons that you, you know, as you laid out all the reasons the Turkey wasn't working as a venue, but I did miss the track uh, when it went away. It's up there with Sepang, uh, Sepang uh, in terms of places yeah. that I really enjoyed seeing them race, even if there were good reasons to abandon it as a venue. So just, you know, as a one-off, I'm excited to see this one come back. And I am really curious what this new group of drivers in new cars is going to make of this circuit. Yeah, and I guess one thing I probably should have mentioned as well is we, this is the fourth last race of the year. Um, it, you know, considering the rest of them all go the way they're supposed to, we've got Bahrain, uh, Sakir, which is Bahrain again, I believe, um, and Abu Dhabi. So whatever happens here, especially with the mid-pack, is going to really... We're, we're probably going to start honing in on them for the next couple of races. Um, and, and seeing like who ends up in third and, and who ends up in uh, uh, you know constructors championships too so in many ways this is the last one where we can sort of just sit back and enjoy it and then the rest is going to be like really you know sort of like what's going on in Formula 2 looking at looking at the um, uh, what what the most of that season was like which was looking at the numbers and saying like okay who's going who's to actually win this because uh, we haven't had that a lot for the championship <laughs> this year yeah uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a, uh, a race at yet another new track, uh, for me at least. Um, so yeah, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of those bonus episodes we mentioned, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shiftf1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Ooh, Ooh what is that heady scent? Yeah. yeah, I've just... Mm. <laughs> 